You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech, the Future Tech Health podcast. I have uh, Dr. Eva Detko. Uh, Dr. Eva, her research covers a lot of areas, uh, physiology, biochemistry, nutrition, plant medicine, etc. Dr. Eva's had some health issues on her own, which I suspect has led her to all these interests in, uh, in health. But I'll let her talk about that. So, Dr. Eva, thank you for coming. How are you doing? Uh, hi, Richard. Yes, very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, tell me just, uh, you know, a real brief background on yourself, uh, and then we'll talk about your current work, if you don't mind. Yeah, in fact, uh, you were quite right uh, when you said in your introduction there that, uh, that it was indeed my health issues that led me to uh, to uh, the area of, of or the many areas of studies, uh, shall I say, but uh, everything that I've studied really falls under the umbrella of natural medicine. Um, and uh, obviously, it was a very long time ago now, but I, I had all sorts of initially um, digestive issues, fatigue type issues. Um, eventually, I ended up uh, with uh, a diagnosis of uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. And I also had Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease. Um, And it soon became very clear to me that the conventional approach, conventional medicine, mainstream medicine approach was just not really going to do much for me. Um, It was very, very limited, mainly limited to to drug options and not much else. Um, This Mm. didn't sit right with me, so I decided that if I was going to get better, I needed to do this on my own and take matters in, into my own hands. And so I, I started with nutrition and biochemistry, but I uh, soon expanded to the uh, areas of psychology, psychotherapy, uh, obviously uh, plant medicine as well, as you mentioned, energetic medicine. So by now, I, I do have quite a, quite a few modalities up my sleeve, and I do work with really complex health conditions. So I do indeed need to have a, a wide uh, range of expertise in, in all sorts of modalities in, in order to to help um, my clients the best that I that I can. Okay. Well, there's a lot of modalities out there. Um, what are some of the most common or tricky conditions that you help people with? And then what modalities do those tend to tie to? So my predominantly, I actually specialize in autoimmunity um, obviously this is quite a broad area of work because by now we have in the region of 140 named autoimmune conditions and in fact there are a number of uh, research groups out there 
uh, who will argue that, in fact, most chronic illness is autoimmune at its very core. So, um, but there is a lot of complexity um, in terms of the, the, the work that I attract. Um, people come to me with, you know, after years and years and years of, of trying various things, they already tried different dietary protocols, and detoxing protocols and whatever else they may have tried. And also with the physical issues that they have um, come, um, comes a lot of emotional complexity. And of course, the mainstream medicine, again, they, they forever try and separate the mind and the body. But indeed, it's, it's one and the same. So it's one system. And we have to look at it at one, as one system. So with physical um, illness, chronic complex physical illness comes a lot of emotional complexity as well. So um, I combine the physiological and biochemical side of uh, illness, uh, things such as nutrition, nutritional therapy and, and plant medicine, uh, herbs, all sorts of obviously supplements, uh, nutritional vitamin mineral supplements that, that comes under the umbrella of nutritional therapy but uh, in in addition to that uh, there's an awful lot you can achieve with with plants in herbs essential oils things like that and then yeah. um, then there is a whole load of um, things that I do on the emotional front I've got quite a few different modalities that I use to to deal with complex emotional stuff um, and then, as well as that, I actually combine with that energetic approaches, so bio bioenergetics, um, as we call it. So, yeah, so that's uh, that's the, the combination of of the the three, the the biochemistry, the bioenergetics, and and the emotional work is really what brings the best result. Because ultimately, what I practice is root cause medicine. Um, so, just maybe people know this already, but mainstream medicine really looks at symptoms and addresses symptoms and it breaks the body down into the different organs and systems and it picks them out and just treats everything separately uh, that's quite a limited approach right. and it yeah. never works yeah. well with chronic illness because you need to treat the body as a whole um, so natural medicine really is is root or functional medicine is root cause medicine and the idea being that if you remove the offending um, factors that caused the illness in the first place perhaps these are infections we're talking about maybe uh, environmental toxins maybe emotional trauma uh, hormonal imbalances food sensitivities whatever it may be there's quite a range of gut issues things like leaky gut and microbiome uh, dysbiosis and microbiome imbalances and if you remove uh, it usually is more more than one thing that goes on but um what you find that if you remove the offending cause uh, that is where the body um returns back to health uh, it could be that it, it turns to, to back to health over time it's not going to be overnight uh, but that's how you facilitate healing for that person is by helping them identify and remove um, what made them sick in the first place. Well, what, are, what would be an offending cause? What are some examples of that? So the with autoimmunity uh, in particular, but this also applies to other chronic conditions, um, one of the main, um, the two probably main causes would be um, emotional trauma and also uh, 
intestinal permeability, hyperpermeability, uh, otherwise known as leaky gut, as well as dysbiosis. So that is when in your gut you have this um, environment whereby you, you have microbes that are working for you and also you can uh, have microbes that are pathogenic and if that if that balance is off uh, then uh, there is going to be all sorts of impacts on health related to the gut not functioning correctly uh, hormonal imbalance is another one food sensitivities uh, is another one um, and of course, infections, chronic infections, things like parasites, um, chronic viral and bacterial infections. So people think that just because they live in a civilized country, um, it's definitely not them and they, they will not have parasites or things like that. But I can definitely promise you that if somebody has chronic health symptoms, there's usually a level of chronic infection going on in the body. So, so it's very interesting to see some people are more prone to, to maybe viral infections or retroviruses. Some people may be more prone to parasites or, or bacterial stuff. But um, usually if there's chronic symptoms that have been going on for a long, for a long time, uh, there will be some usually some infections associated with that. And of course, we have environmental toxicity. And that's, you know, all the glyphosates, all the nasty stuff that they spray on our food these days. Toxic metals um, is is a big one. So mineral imbalances in the body uh, could be caused by nutritional deficiencies or insufficiencies because our food is deficient in nutrients compared to 100 years ago. Our, our food is so much lower in nutrients these days than it used to be. The soil is depleted, so therefore the, the food is depleted. Um, but at the same time, we've got a lot of a lot more toxicity in our environment. So you've got a lot of toxic metals coming at us from all sorts of directions and so so all of those things you see and on top of that there's of course electromagnetic sensitivity um, but I find that electromagnetic sensitivity is always related to toxic metals or infections or something else so but if, you, if those all of those factors combined start um, overloading somebody's system then that system will start breaking down because there just won't be enough capacity for the system to bounce back if you have all of those different things going on. So that's why it's not normally, it's not just one thing. In terms of those causal factors, it usually will be more than one because your body normally has a massive capacity for healing and repair and regeneration. But if you start bombarding it with lots of toxins and then you have emotional stresses and then maybe you have food poisoning and you get initially you get an infection that way. So there's just things that just add up, add up, add up. And at some point um, there is a, you know, major bang going on. And then, the, the you know, that's usually when people start experiencing symptoms and then they get a diagnosis. So what are some of the common ways that uh, people will be exposed to substances that will lead them to other issues that will lead them to emf sensitivity or chemical sensitivity or you know major health issues like can you envision the whole path in your head now and maybe give an example of how this has happened to you or other people yeah so um i do actually like to emphasize the fact that emotional trauma is is a massive um massive factor in illness, uh, this has been this. This is not just my say. So um, people may be familiar with um, ACES study done originally in 1998 by CDC and Kaiser Permanente, 
whereby they um, screened 17,000 people and they followed 17,000 people um, and they looked at a correlation between early childhood trauma, they call it adverse childhood events, and uh, disease later in life. And it, as it happens, that correlation is very strong with pretty much every single chronic illness known. So we're talking coronary heart disease, cancer, autoimmune disease, um, there's correlation with all of those. And, um, of course, when it comes to trauma, um, a lot of it really is uh, about perception. So it's not necessarily an event per se, but it's the person's response to a particular event. In other words, two people could be going through the same event and one of them will come away traumatized and the other won't. That's the reason. The reason is because one person had um, a different response to, to the other compared to the other person. And that determined whether this particular event registered in the neurology as trauma or not. Uh, but this uh, usually, this is thing, these are things that happen um, in, uh, in people's early years. That's why it's called um, early childhood trauma. And it's not always about big things such as abuse or divorce. Sometimes it's about little things that happened over a prolonged period of time. And when it comes to developmental trauma, which is a problem for a lot of people with chronic illness, it's more about what wasn't present rather than was present. So this is a, a, a trauma that is really about um, a lack of bonding in the first few years of our lives. So if there wasn't enough care and attention paid to a child, um, they may well end up with a developmental trauma, which will then cause permanent changes in the brain. It will cause permanent changes in the microbiome. And then um, as this person goes through life and other things get thrown at them, uh, eventually this will um, end up um, they will end up with some sort of chronic problem. And another big one, a really big one, is, of course, environmental toxicity. So we're talking um, GMOs, we're talking glyphosate, everything that gets sprayed on food, uh, herbicides, pesticides, extremely toxic, toxic substances that, of course, if they get sprayed on a fruit and veg, we um, obviously are going to end up eating that if we eat inorganic uh, fruits and fruits and vegetables. So um, uh, it's very very important these days to go for clean food and non-GMO food because um, there's so much evidence that the damage this causes to our DNA and to to the tissues and and our health is is just extreme. It's extremely concerning and extremely worrying. And is glyphosate obviously the, the, the pesticides herbicides is, is one aspect and then of course we've got the toxic metals uh, which are obviously uh, everywhere and they are in the soil um, they are obviously um, in if people are smokers then obviously that's one of the main exposures but it's not just that uh, we they, they appear in our household cleaning products in our cosmetics in a food. So again, the exposure is pretty much, you know, we, we just cannot avoid it completely 100%. So the only way right. to oh, deal okay. with it. Yeah. Well, you can't avoid it 100%, but what are some levels of action that people can take to reduce their exposure? You know, what are the things that are around them that are the worst for them? Or is it different for everybody? And 
again, how can they take step one and step two and step three, for instance? What, what are those steps? So that's, uh, it's always, uh, the, the first step, obviously, food and water, because we put this in our bodies every single day, right? So if you live in a polluted city, and you can't move away, which would be ideal, um, then, of course, this is something that's going to, you're going to be more affected than somebody who lives in the country and in a clean place, maybe in the mountains somewhere. So clearly, yes, people will have different levels of exposure. Um, if somebody is a smoker, they'll have a different level of exposure than somebody who isn't. So uh, there will be different levels. Uh, but uh, the, the most simple step really is to clean up your food and water. So this would be, like I said, go for foods that are non-GMO and organic because it makes so much difference. It's just incredible how much difference that makes to human health. And water, of course, is something that we need to be drinking an awful lot of water every day uh, to keep ourselves in good health. And if that water is polluted, if it's filthy, if it's um, um, chlorinated or fluoridated or whatever else they're putting in, in your municipal water, this needs to be filtered out. So one of the most important things is to have a good, good, um, ideally, you know, five-stage filter uh, whole house filter, but also predominantly, obviously, the most important thing is what you put in, in your mouth. But also, um, if you shower in contaminated water, that will get through the skin very, very mm. easily. That will get through the skin. So, of course, um, if you know that your water source is not very good, then having a filter for the whole house is a very good idea. And of course, talking about what gets through uh, in, in terms of through the skin, then we need to be thinking what products we use and we put on, on our skin. So again, going cleaner uh, makeup, in terms of the deodorant, yes, things like that. Absolutely, yes, yes. There's so many. There's there's heavy metals in. So for instance, there's aluminium in your in your deodorants, right? In the in your conventional deodorants, uh, but you can perfectly well um, do perfectly well with an organic version that is aluminium free and contains essential oils. Um, so those things can be easily replaced. Uh, so it's not something that, oh, my God, now I have to live without it. How do I do this? It's impossible. It's, it's not impossible. It's actually once you make that step and make those transitions, it's actually fairly straightforward. You just need to be aware of, of what it is that you are using and uh, how to you know replace it with something better. And there's so much on the market these days, products that are far cleaner and far better. So that's just a few well, simple how do you, steps. Um... How do people not feel overwhelmed by all this? You know, like it sounds like anything that goes on you, in you, or is around you can affect you. Those three broad categories, and you know, we're going through them. But you know, someone that's new to this that's not feeling well, like what are some of the first steps you take them through? Like, I guess you know, let's take a little bit different track. How do you even figure out what is wrong with someone? The root cause. What are some of the steps you'll take with them? Okay, so if somebody's really, really sick, they're unlikely to figure it out on, on, on their own. I'd like to say that everybody can do their own healing, but unfortunately, if you have a lot of symptoms and whether you don't, if you don't know whether you're coming or going, you do need a, a help of, of either a natural a healthcare practitioner, a naturopathic practitioner, or a functional medicine practitioner, because you do need to test for some of those things. So you cannot just guess. You cannot just do this through guesswork because otherwise you may be on it for a very long time. And if you start 
going down the wrong path, you could be causing more damage than good. So that's number right. one. You won't necessarily be able to. If you have a lot of complex symptoms and, you know, there's lots of chronic symptoms you're struggling with, maybe, you know, headaches, fatigue, skin problems, etc. And all of this is kind of starting to limit the way you're living your life then you, you really do need um, a, a, a quali- very good qualified practitioner to help you unravel this mystery. So, but the simplest number one, okay, and I do know that people can get overwhelmed with this because unfortunately it's getting worse. And unfortunately I'd like to say, oh, don't worry about it. It will get better. It won't get better because unfortunately the world is more toxic and it will be more toxic. And people who could be doing something about it, like the people at the top, unfortunately are hell-bent on going the other way because it's all about it's essentially, you know, pesticide companies, you know, they make a lot of money out of their chemicals. They are big you know, conglomerates. Right. There's a lot of money in that. So this is not going away. So the only thing... Well, again, within... Do, uh... Within the realm of testing, like what are some of the first tests that you'll, you know, suggest people get regardless of what's going on with them? Or does it really depend on what they're telling you is wrong and then you, you oh, absolutely. start with different tests? Oh, absolutely. It depends because it, 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 there's no point spending thousands of dollars to test you don't need. So, so if I said, oh, everybody should be doing this or everybody should, should be doing that, um, potentially, I'm sending people to to spend money they don't need to spend. So I, I really wouldn't like to be, um, you know, saying that this test is for everybody and this isn't. Um, the, the one test that is very very useful, pretty much um, for anybody to do, I would say, is hair tissue mineral analysis. But the but is that you really do need a good practitioner to interpret. In other words, somebody needs to be trained to interpret this. This is not just you sending hair to the lab and getting the results and knowing what to do with it. It's far, far complex than that. It needs proper training, and it's a lot of hours of training to know how to properly interpret that. This is one very, very useful thing to do. If well, what are the minerals also- that, uh, that you would look at, for instance? Like, What's an example of them? Of this particular, so, you know, set of tests, what would you look at? So, in that particular set of te- in this particular test, what what you will look is, uh, you will look at the major macro minerals, calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium. Even from those four minerals, you can already have a good idea of somebody's metabolic rate, and also whether they slow oxidizer, as we say, or fast oxidizer how they detox, uh, you can already deduce um, how, what sort of health problems they might be prone to. And together with symptoms, because if I work with somebody, you say, I've got a lot of questionnaires for them to fill in to begin with, because I can actually get quite a good picture of what's happening for them just by the, the symptoms that they're experiencing and the different things that I can ask them about, I, they can already start pointing me in the right direction there. So then when I'm doing, um, for instance, if, if I do the hair mineral analysis for somebody, then I can already be looking at, well, are, are they, um, for instance, what's their adrenal function? What's their thyroid function? Um, and then we could be looking at, uh, other metals, for instance, most people these days um, have iron overload. People think they're iron deficient. That's really, really not the case. What's happening is, is there's a very complex relationship between iron and copper. And if you have um, 
bio biounavailable iron and biounavailable copper, uh, you can start accumulating those metals in the tissues, and that alone could be causing nasty symptoms such as aching joints and fatigue and headaches and migraines and various things like that. So, uh, so then, and of, and of course, in the hair uh, mineral analysis, uh, will also uh, give you some indication on um, how uh, how you excreting those toxic metals that you may be ingesting or stuff stuff that may already be in your tissues from even from birth, because something like lead, for instance, lead is stored in the bone tissue a lot. You see. So often people um, in uh, p- women are pregnant, and of course there is uh, quite a turnover of bone tissue through pre- throughout pregnancy. Um, and if that lead gets freed up into the bloodstream, that lead is going to end up in the fetus. So the baby will already be born with a degree of um, lead toxicity. This is not going to be acute toxicity. They're not necessarily going to be symptomatic, but they're already accumulating this extremely toxic toxic metal from the word go and that's even before anything else right Hmm. so so yeah so there's there's a lot that a lot of information that uh can be obtained from from just doing this one test um but of course there's all sorts of um so i mentioned that gut is another big big link between so gut uh lack of um proper functioning in the gut and chronic illness, that there, there's massive correlation there. So uh, there are various uh, labs that one can do to look at, for instance, uh, the function of the, how the microbiome functions, what bacteria they actually have in the gut, what bacteria they're lacking, where the imbalances are, and also, of course, what foods they're uh, there, uh, there may be, the, for instance, there is a specific test, actually, uh, Viome, that actually looks at the DNA of those different microbes. And from that test, you can see where the imbalances are, and you can also see what foods are feeding your microbiome quite nicely and what foods are not so good for you specifically to eat. This is the reason why I would never have one protocol for everybody. So if you do, if you see a nutritional protocol that very sort of strictly prescribes you must be eating this and you mustn't be eating that, most of the time that's complete nonsense because everybody's an individual. People will react to different foods. So even if you decide to follow a nutritional protocol, you still need to adapt it to your, your individual needs because you may be, you know, they may be telling you, oh, eat two cups of broccoli every day. But if you happen to react to broccoli or genetically you, you don't work well with broccoli, then that's obviously hmm. a really silly idea for you to be eating. Just because it's good hmm. for most people doesn't mean it's good for you, right? So what we are, need to be looking few, at people uh, as individuals. Yeah, yeah. Maybe to put some specifics on this, any any case studies, you know, without names or anything, but case studies that really stand out to you of people that you've worked with and what happened? Yes. Yeah, so, for example, um, so I work with autoimmunity. So let's just say, um, and, and this is actually true for many cases of fibromyalgia. What happens um, in my fibromyalgia specifically is that, um, as in many chronic illness, actually, that the minerals are completely out of balance and some uh, minerals will be 
really, really high, but stored in the wrong tissue. So the example of that is calcium. So calcium, we want calcium to be in the bone. That's what makes our bones healthy and strong is the calcium. However, in the case of fibromyalgia and other conditions as well, what you see is that calcium is not in the bone. So the calcium, so, so somebody could have calcium deficiency. They could still have osteoporosis, but they have too much calcium in the wrong part of the body, namely soft tissues. So then what happens is the calcium accumulates rather than accumulating in the bone, it starts to accumulating in the muscles and the tendons. And that over time contributes to pain and stiffness, which is one of the, the main features of fibromyalgia. So all over body pain and stiffness. So if you then uh, take specific steps to rebalance that, you can, so that would be, you know, one of the root causes in this case. And if you rebalance that correctly, that person will recover, recover their health. Another example would be if somebody has very low sodium levels, they will have weak adrenal function. So if I have somebody with weak adrenal function, which is a lot of people with chronic fatigue these days, people have fatigue for all sorts of reasons, but it's always linked to poor adrenal function. Right. And, and if you see that, then that is likely to be the case. This person's um, tissue level of sodium and potassium will be out of balance. So again, you see just, just with, it's, I'm not saying this. I'm not uh, saying this is, by the way, really easy and simple because that takes commitment. It takes a few months of uh, eating mostly vegetables for starters to get the mineral levels up uh, to to the level where they need to be. Uh, but then uh, over time, uh, with those specific changes, people people do do get better. Okay, so. Um, any correlation between how long someone's been sick and how long it takes for them to get well? Um, generally speaking, it really depends on the starting point. It does. But um, um, if it's really, really complex and if there's have sort of toxic metals involved, if we need to detoxify parasites and then toxic metals, uh, and then, you know, at the same time, you could be dealing with emotional work alongside it. Um, we could be talking sometimes six to 12 months is a good good amount of time if it's fairly straightforward. But if people have been sick for a very long time um, and they have a lot of um, infections and toxicity in their bodies, uh, then it could be, you know, we could be talking a couple of years. Uh, the hardest tissue to detoxify in the body is brain tissue. So a lot of people will have fatigue symptoms, for instance, brain fog, those sort of um, neurological type fatigue. And that usually means there's something sitting in the brain tissue. There's something that's got through the blood brain barrier and accumulated in the brain tissue, and that needs to be detoxified. So uh -huh. uh, when we're talking about detoxifying brain tissue, then that is probably what takes the longest. So sometimes it can take a couple of years to, to fully detoxify. The reason why we want to do it over a longer period of time rather than go health for leather and do it quickly is because if somebody's got a lot of toxicity, which usually a lot of chronic symptoms means a lot of toxicity, that's the correlation, that's pretty much always the case. But if we do it too quickly um, and you start offloading all this toxic stuff and um, 
the body needs to remove it. The body needs to deal with it appropriately. So if you do it too quickly, you can make actually you can make somebody sicker rather than help them. So sometimes things need to be done a little bit more slowly because it makes sense because then the body can do it at its own pace and you're not actually damaging anything in the process and the body can you know heal and repair as it's going along. Okay. Well, well, very good for people that. Uh you know, we're listening and need help and they've maybe tried you know, a whole host of things that haven't worked. What's the best way for them to get in touch and to find out more from you and about you? So my website is really the best place. And then you can contact me and, and follow me from my website. You can get to the right places. Uh, and it's uh, dr-eva.com. So it's Dr. Eva, but it's dr-eva. Dot com and that's that's the best place and if you you know if i can't help you i can i may be able to point you in the right direction the one thing that i want to say to people is don't don't be overwhelmed if you are feeling overwhelmed by what, what this information that i'm sharing uh, it can be overwhelming but uh you do need some if you're having loads of symptoms you do need some support and if you get the right support then you'll be able to break it down and step by step you can make yourself better with the right help because it's not about trying to do everything at once. You need to break it down, do things slowly, do things in the right order, um, and then you you will eventually get to where you want to be because there is hope for for most people. There is obviously such a point, there's such a thing as point of no return when the body is so damaged and, and, you know, you have so much degeneration in the tissues that you may not be able to recover your health fully but you can always improve and you can always get better no matter where you are. Only death is final. If we're still alive and kicking, then there's always something we can do to improve. That's great. Well, Dr. Eva, thank you for coming. I I really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Richard. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. Hold on a second. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.